Good morning, everybody, whoever's watching us this morning or whoever gets this podcast. We're going to teach some more about the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> we're going to uh, look at the setting up of Pentecost. And last week, we spent a lot of time talking about the uh, uh, different seasons of the Holy Spirit. So we'll get into uh head toward Pentecost this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you most of all for sending your son to take our place on that cross. We thank you, Jesus, for being obedient even to the death of the cross, carrying our sins and all the guilt and the shame and our sicknesses and diseases, uh, everything, all the provision we need has been secured in you lord you have made us all the provision and we thank you for eternal life because you have risen from the dead and without that our hope would be in vain and we're thankful that you have loved us come to us forgiven us and made us your own in jesus name amen all right so i want to go back to uh, john we talked about the different phases of the Holy Spirit. If, I don't know if that's the correct word, but I'm sorry. We'll go back to Luke chapter 3. I'm going to look at verse 15. So John has come on the scene and he's immersing people in water, uh, baptizing them in water. And verse 15 says, Now as the people were, expect, uh, were in expectation and all reason in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. So they're, they're, this level of expectation, they're looking for the Christ, right? I mean, they uh, they're, have this expectation of Christ coming. So there's an, an awareness of that. And it says, and they all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. And then John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. Now, we talked about how that when John the Baptist met, uh, John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, met Mary on the way, that he was... I might say, jokingly, he was unfairly filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's in his mother's womb, and the Holy Spirit's at work already in the earth, and he baptizes, he fills John with the Spirit while he's still in the womb. So how much John tells people, uh, he just keeps promoting Jesus, getting the people ready for him. But he makes an interesting statement. Here, when he's baptizing with water, he says, There's one mightier than I who's coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. So, <clears throat> I, I talked about this last week. The Greek word for baptize... Is very similar to 
the English, baptizio. And so that Greek word, baptizio, does not mean water. And I, I've said this, it means to immerse or to be consumed with. So the word, now the reason it's synonymous with water in our culture because they basically gave the church that word. It's not a religious word, it's just a word to describe an action, right? So just like disciple is not a religious word. The world gave us those words because they didn't want to use them anymore. So uh, they said, where's John's disciples, right? Those are just means they're followers of a particular order. Uh, it could be good or it could be bad. To immerse something, and I've used this illustration a lot, means like I could actually correctly use the Greek word baptizio by taking an Oreo into milk. That would be a correct way to use that. I'm going to baptize this Oreo. I'm going to immerse it into this milk. When you couple it with the Christian life, then it describes an action, right? It describes the baptism of water. But here, there's also a baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. And so, if you would, turn with, uh, let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. This is very important to lay the foundation here for the Holy Spirit's work. In Hebrews chapter 6, um, in verse well, the first two verses here, the, uh, it says, Therefore, leaving the, the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance. So these are the foundational uh, things of Christianity. Repentance from dead works, faith toward God, the doctrine of baptisms. Now, that's plural because there are more than one baptism. Uh, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, of eternal judgment. So those are, I don't care what denomination you belong to, those are the foundations for every church. They should be. This, the, all churches should be built on this foundation. The, he's, Paul's actually saying, here's your foundation, now let's build on this. That's what he's teaching here in Hebrews. So, we understand all these clearly, uh, repentance, uh, faith, the doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Those are foundational principles for Christianity, or they should be. Uh, the um, eternal judgment, we understand that. Resurrection, without a resurrection, we're, we're not going anywhere. Laying on of hands is used both to... As a transference, you pray over leadership that way. You pray for the sick that way. Um, also, the doctrine of baptisms, and of course, faith and repentance. All those are, those are the six foundational principles of any church, or at least they should be. They, you shouldn't go to your denomination and start. You should come here in the Bible and start. That's how every church should be founded, right there. Uh, I don't care what the label is over the door. These are the principles. Now... Some people run this pretty far, but what I see in the uh, New Testament clearly is three 
he talks about baptism in water. They talk about baptism with the Spirit. And they talk about baptism in the fire or the trials, the time of tra testing. You get immersed in those things, right? So basically what God's trying to teach us, immersion in water is a similar, very similar to circumcision in the Old Testament. It was a picture, it's part of your testimony to say that the old man or the old person is dead, the new person has come to life in Christ. So it's part of our testimony. It's uh, what that God has given as a sign or a symbol that people have transferred kingdoms. That was, if these guys came out from the outside to join Israel, they had to uh, be circumcised. So it's a, it's a type that you belong to the Christ. You, you are, your sins have been washed away. You're forgiven. Now, baptism of trials is a time where God allows us, like he did with Jesus, to go into the garden or the wilderness to be tested and tried. So all of us are going to face a season like that, probably more than one season, because God has to really work on us <laughs> uh, to get us to that, where he's calling us to empty us out. I think Ezekiel said that God keeps emptying out us from vessel to vessel to get the lees out so that we can be cleaner more like him, be more effective. And that's really the process in the New Testament that Ezekiel describes there is called what we call sanctification, that God's taking us from glory to glory. He's sanctifying us and causing us to be more like him. And that's the hang-up, right? If you get so far into anything, and Christianity is no different, I don't think, we, we feel like we've got enough of it. I mean, that's human nature. I've done enough. I've went far enough. I've got deep enough. I've... But that's really not what we're after. We really want to go as far as God will take us. And there is no end to a God in whom there's no end, right? How can you get to the end of a God in whom there's no end? He is, he's infinite. So John describes Jesus' ministry by saying, I'm baptizing you with water, but there's one coming after me that's going to baptize you or immerse you in the Holy Spirit. So as we saw last week, if you watched last week's, uh, you can remember that the Holy Spirit was working in creation. He was working in the Old Testament. Jesus said, he even told his followers, you know the Holy Spirit. He's with you, but he shall be in you. And that was the clear distinction. Now, I, what, what I argue is with people who say the Holy Spirit didn't show up until Pentecost is, number one, they're wrong. They don't read their Bible, but that's a plague in our modern church. Most of them don't even use the Old Testament anymore. But there is a clear difference after Pentecost, and that is exactly what Jesus described. The Holy Spirit's here. You know him. He's with you, but he's going to be in you. He's going to consume you. That's his design. So there's a difference. The dispensation changed. Instead of the Holy Spirit coming and doing something and removing himself, interacting at times, even with speaking through the prophets, now he's going home with you. I mean, that is a, I mean, there's no question that is a different dispensation. And that's what Jesus was bringing to the table. That's why John said, uh, I'm immersing you in water. I'm baptizing you with water. But there's one coming after me who I'm not worthy to even loose his shoes who's going to baptize you or immerse you in the Holy Spirit. So uh, don't confuse baptism with water. 
Think about baptism as being consumed with something. That's really what he's telling you. When you get baptized in water, you're consumed in it, right? You're covered. You're clothed in it. It surrounds you. It consumes you. That's really what's happened. That's the offering we have with the Holy Spirit. And so he, he's uh, preparing his disciples for that. So let's go to Acts and let's um, pick up in verse 4. We read a little bit of this last week, but let's pick up in verse 4 again. It says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. So Jesus, in verse 4, uh, is talking to his followers, and he, uh, and he says, But wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he basically restates what John said from his perspective, Right? John said, I'm baptizing with water, but there's one coming after me that's going to baptize you with the Spirit. I'm immersing you in water, but there's one coming after me that's going to immerse you into the Spirit, consume you into the Spirit. Uh, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times, the seasons which the Father has put in his authority. Now, Think about it in this term. When you and I get filled with the Spirit, we become under His control. Now, Spurgeon said, who was, you know, one, maybe the most popular preacher of his time, said that sometimes we have to be refilled because we leak. <laughs> and that may be true. Um, he says, but you shall receive Power, dunamis is the Greek word where we get the word dynamite. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. That word is the, the same word as martyr. And in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So as you've heard me say before, uh, let me read this quote I, ha- I took up here. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not the end goal but it's the gateway into the power of the Christian life. So a lot of people would view another experience with God as a trophy. Like, I've got this. I've, that's, not, that's not what we're after. Being filled with the Spirit is, is, is not the end goal, but is the gateway into the power of the Christian life. I'm going to be shallow here, I know, but think about playing football without a helmet. That's kind of what we would view like not being open to the Holy Spirit. You're at a disadvantage if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to flood your life, to consume you and fill you. The more you give over to the Holy Spirit and His work, the more you're filled with the Spirit, the greater advantage you have. Think about His direction versus your own. Think about His power versus your own power. we're, without the Holy Spirit, Christians do not have the same level of power, discernment, ability, all, all the above. So he's saying that you're going to get power here when the Holy Spirit comes uh, uh, upon you. He said, and you're going to be have power to be witnesses, martyrs. And I don't really, although a lot of these guys were martyrs physically, I think the whole end goal, the, the first the desire of the Holy Spirit is to 
uh, conquer us. And that's what you've heard me say a lot. You know why the Holy Spirit needs to conquer us? Is because we get in the way. Uh, anything eternal that's getting done in any situation is because of the Holy Spirit. It's not because of us. It's because of Him. So what you and I need to be is a vessel that the Holy Spirit can work through. We get high on ourselves. We think we get smart. We like our own intellect. All those kind of things can get in the way of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit wants a vessel that he can work him, his, his power through, his, his, uh, his will. Our will gets in the way. So his design is to conquer us so that we can be a vessel that he can use. <clears throat> now, uh, the next thing I want to show you is verse, in verse 9. It says, when he had spoken these things while they watched, right on the heels of him telling them to wait for the Holy Spirit, uh, he he's taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while he looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by him in white apparel, uh, and also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up in heaven? This same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner so as you saw him go into heaven. So what had to happen <clears throat> before the Holy Spirit would be given in this dispensation was that Jesus had to go back to the Father. When he went back to the Father, he was seated or enthroned in his rightful place. One of the things that we talked about a few weeks back was that he said, I'm not going to leave you orphanless. They got used to having Jesus here. And I can understand that. I would have been the same way. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit not like he's been around before. You know him, he said. He's with you, but he's going to be in you. There's going to be a total different shift in the spiritual realm. So I don't argue. I do argue that people who say the Holy Spirit wasn't here until Pentecost, that's foolish. I'll argue against that. But I, I also will say there's a clear difference after Pentecost. The, the Holy Spirit no longer is just hanging out, available at certain moments. Now he's going home with us. We're taking him home. So he's sitting on your couch inside of you and me. He's, he, everywhere you go, the Holy Spirit's there. I, I, what was I? I was in a setting... Oh, yeah. I was in a setting, and these people, this is weird, I understand that, but one of their family members had passed away, and they, they have their ashes, and anywhere they go, they take them. And they, I mean, if they go to a restaurant, they, sit, they get a seat for those ashes because that family member, even though they're gone, they're so overwhelmed by that. They, they take those ashes I, I couldn't really believe what I was hearing. And it's like, they, if they go to a restaurant, they sit them there. If they go grocery shopping, they're in the buggy. Now, that's different. I understand that. But I want you to think in terms of wherever you go now, if, when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, we're taking him with us everywhere we go. Now, that's great news. Because the Holy Spirit's not just out there somewhere coming and going. He's right here with us all the time. 
And we take him home. We go to bed. Everything, he's with us. So in, in chapter 2, verse 1 of Acts, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now remember, this is another feast. There's a lot going on here. <clears throat> this is another feast. So Jesus, as we just came through the season of Passover, he Passover, he's first fruits, and unleavened bread. Jesus fulfilled this one, this one, and this one. And then you got 50 days after that, and you've got this fourth feast, Pentecost, and Jesus also fulfills it by going back to the Father and sending the Holy Spirit. So all four of these feasts, and, and I, I know some of us sang about it and didn't know what we were singing about back in those days. That is the early rain in Israel. And the harvest starts here. And we're going to see that right here. The harvest begins in Israel on Pentecost. Over here, you've got the Feast of Trumpets. You've got Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. And then Yom Kippur. And then you've got Feast of Tabernacles. All of these are the latter rain. And if you sang songs like that growing up, and I did, send down the rain, Lord, send down the rain, send down the latter rain, we didn't really know what we were singing because we had no idea really much about Israel back in those days. But this is what's happening. So the harvest kicks off here, and the harvest runs all the way into here. So that's what's happening. Before we go any further in chapter 2, Jesus fulfilled this feast on the very times that they happened. He fulfilled this feast by sending the Holy Spirit. That was the fulfillment of that feast in the spirit realm. But it was Jesus that did it because he said, if I don't go away, the Spirit's not going to come in this dispensation, right? So it's still Jesus doing it. He said, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to send the Spirit to you. So all four of these feasts, the early rain is completed and the harvest kicked off and it's going to run through here. But we're right here. I mean, we're that close to the end. We're right at the verge of the latter rain. We're actually, and when that happens, the harvest comes to a close and that's when the Lord comes and all that. So this is the latter rain, the early rain. The harvest kicked off here. Jesus sets the stage for this. <clears throat> and he says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. This happened last night. We, we felt, when we had prayer in the, at the, the well last night, the church satellite, uh, and I, I mean, maybe it's us. Let's just be real. Maybe we come in seeking God and we're not really fully seeking Him. We're distracted. But some nights, it's like the Holy Spirit shows. Maybe it's just sovereignty. I, maybe it's, we're not to blame. But, uh, but last night, he fell where we were at. You could tell it. You could tell when the Holy Spirit walked in the room. I mean, the, the whole, everybody that was there praying, they started weeping, started work. You could feel when the Holy Spirit showed up last night. Uh, and actually, we probably need to start that same what we're doing down there here. We've been doing that because we're trying to get that church plant. We're praying over the city and all that. But 
But you can't go wrong by doing more prayer. That's what these people were doing. They were waiting on the Lord. They were attending to the Lord. They were uh, waiting on the Holy Spirit. And so it says, that he came in the room. Suddenly there came, and the rushing mighty wind and filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set on each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So these guys had a supernatural event taking place. The Spirit comes over them. They have a new tongue, and look what happens. And I like what one preacher said, and I've carried this from then on. He said, the reason the Holy Spirit went after the tongue first because it's the most unruly member we have. If you'll notice, the tongue does more damage in the world, and I'm not done, and in the church than any other thing. It, is, it, it causes wars. It's divisive. It causes hatred. and anger. The tongue, it, James said, the tongue is the most unruly member we have. And I believe... The Holy Spirit said, if I'm going to conquer these people, if I'm going to use these people, if I'm going to be able to control them and use them for the glory of the Father, I'm going to have to go after their tongue first. And I believe that's true. You, if you sit back and think about how much damage in the world, if you read a history book or if you look at churches or, or families, just look at a family. And now we've got so many ways to use our tongue, it's unbelievable, isn't it? All these social platforms and media platforms, and it's, but it's still the same old guy doing it, right? The tongue. You're basically speaking things when you type them in. It's the same concept as the tongue. And we've watched people be destroyed. We've watched churches get destroyed. We've watched families get destroyed. We've watched nations go under, all because of the tongue. So I believe the Holy Spirit, we, we miss some stuff here because we see the... We look at the outcomes and forget the whole process. The Holy Spirit shows up, right? And he could have done something miraculous, more miraculous, right? He could have done some big great sign in front of them. And this was a sign. But he went after all of those guys' tongues in there, gave them a new tongue. And notice what happens after that. It says, and they were dwelling in Jerusalem, uh, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So everybody was there. Because it was a feast. It was the Feast of Pentecost. They were all coming together. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So whatever the Holy Spirit was doing, it was so miraculous that the sound that came out of there, everybody heard it. He took all those 120 people, gave them a tongue, and when that sound came out, everybody heard it in their own language. That is phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Uh, one of the uh, experiences I was around when I was younger, there was a guy, that was when Vietnam was going on, and there was a guy who had brought a bride back from over there. He'd married, and they, they were legit. They stayed married, raised their family. He brought her home from there. But the war was so bad at the time, she hadn't heard from her family in, uh, I forget how many weeks. And she was concerned about her family. She became a Christian. Uh, uh, and there was a lady whom I know 
well and I respect highly, who's still alive today. God spoke through her to her in Taiwanese. And she didn't know Taiwanese. But God used this woman to speak to her and tell her about her family. It was, a, it was phenomenal. I'll never forget as long as I live. This woman does not know Taiwanese. But the Holy Spirit used her and spoke through her in Taiwan. That's a, I mean, look outside. You think God can't do anything. I mean, he can cause somebody to speak in Taiwanese. Look, just look at your body. Look at all the blood vessels that are in your body. God can do anything. And that's what we got to get out of, limiting God. And so they get filled with the Holy Spirit. A miracle's taking place because all these people are speaking in a tongue they don't know or they don't have in their repertoire, if I can say it that way. And all of these guys are hearing it in their own language. They were all amazed in verse 7 and marveled, saying, No, no uh, one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in his own language? And each we he uh, were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, uh, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt. And so he goes into describing where they're all from. And it says in verse uh, 11, excuse me, 12 says, So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What could this mean? Others mocking said, They're full of new wine. <laughs> so some of them said, This is awesome. Some of them said they're drunk. Now, Jack Hayford, whom I believe is probably the greatest pastor in the world, um, from California, and he's uh, very very wise and not showy or anything like that but he uh, he's you know he understands the Holy Spirit and he said he was flying back from somewhere in the United States sitting next to a guy from a foreign country and the Holy Spirit spoke through him in that guy's language and he led him to Christ he couldn't speak English and and he's now Jack Hayford is not like a lot of these TV preachers, he's not flamboyant. He's very subdued, but he believes in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's used that way. He don't do things to draw attention to himself and that kind of thing, but, and, and he's, he's a pretty powerful guy. A lot of the worship songs we sing, Jack Hayford wrote them. Uh, he's the one that really thrust the church forward in America by getting it, the worship focused back on the Word instead of our moms and grandmas, whom we love but they're not our Savior. You know, we don't sing about how good mom and granny is. We sing about how good Jesus is. Uh, and we all love our mothers and grandmothers. And my mother may be watching this morning, and I love her, but uh, she's not my Savior, right? And so, <clears throat> so he, the, he's, he talk, and he's had lots of experiences like that uh, because he's, he's very pliable. I think he's, the Lord's been able to use him because he's so willing. And so it says, but Peter's standing up. So Peter's going to give them the answer to all this. Standing up in 11, raised his voice and said to them, Oh, I'm running out of time. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let, not, let this be known to you that, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what the, uh, was spoken by the prophet Joel. It should come to pass in the last days, God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. We got to stop there. That's where we'll pick up, and we'll keep working all this because what you're going to see, and we didn't get there this morning, is the harvest is going to kick off. It's a fitting, right? The spiritual harvest 
kicks off when the Holy Spirit starts baptizing these people in, his, in him, in himself. Then the harvest kicks off. Miracles start happening because these people have power that they didn't have previously. Father, we thank you for this time we have together. And as we come back next week and, and, and look at what Joel prophesied and how that, the beginnings of that started right here on the day of Pentecost. And we're going to see even more of that prophecy as we go into the end of time because Joel prophesied so much about this day all the way into the Feast of Trumpets. And we're thankful, Lord, that you have not left us orphans, but you've given us the Holy Spirit and all that goes along with that as we study. In Jesus' name, amen.